I had done so much wrong there that literally when they would lock the door at night, that was my reprieve. I remember I would like pray at night. I didn't even really know who, I knew I was praying to God. Yeah. I always knew there was a God, yeah. right? But I, would, I was only praying to save my life. Yeah. Whatever I did today, don't allow them to kill me tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church. We hope you enjoy these stories. You are listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, a podcast that we started um, just about a year ago and started after we did a sermon series called Your Story Matters where uh, we challenged our church to share their story and to be real and honest and vulnerable about what had gone on in their lives, the highs and lows, and share how they'd seen God move and work through those things. And um, this podcast became what came next. And as we come to the end of this podcast series, this year-long run of stories, um, one of the last stories that we're, we're sharing on this is Carly and Levine's. And um, this is a part two episode. So if you missed Carly sharing in part one, I encourage you really just to pause this one right now. Go back and listen to part one first. Um, you don't have to do that. You can listen to Levine's story. It'll make complete sense. But really, their story is powerful separately, but even more powerful together. And um, they're going to share some stuff at the end of this episode uh, that will encourage you and challenge you. Um, but really, it means so much more when you've listened to both. And um, and once you do that, make sure to listen to the whole series. Every single story is unique and special um, and really, honestly, incredible. Um, and for these people to sit down and share their stories um, is, is kind of unreal. And so I just encourage you, if you've been along for the journey the entire time, thank you. If you're new uh, to listening to the Your Story Matters podcast, go back um, and make sure to catch up on all of them because um, it really does show just who God is and really what we're trying to do as a church here in Frederick. And so um, I'm excited for you to be a part of this podcast today. And I'm really excited to hear more of Levine's story. Levine, uh, when I first started talking to him, meeting him, one of the things he told me was, he's like, dude, I got a story. And if I ever get a chance to share it all, you're going to be blown away. And we didn't know the podcast was coming yet. And so the moment this podcast went live, I was like, all right, Levine, Let's go. And so I'm excited to hear. I've heard a lot of your story, but I'm excited to hear even more. And I appreciate your vulnerability and um, for what you've been through in your life to be willing to share for both of you guys and say, okay, God, use this. It's just unreal. And, you know, I just encourage you guys as listeners to not take that for granted because um, it is hard to share and it is Mm -hmm. complicated and tricky. And you never know if God can use it or even if you're qualified to, to share your story. And um, this podcast is a reminder of that all of those things are, are true and good. And so, Levine, um, same same question to start everybody off. Talk to us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? What was family life like? And was faith a part of that, church a part of that? Um, and did that have any impact at all on your growing up? First and foremost, faith was definitely not a part of our household. 
we didn't go to church. The only time we went to a church was for a funeral. Yep. That's the only memories I have of, like, if an uncle would die or aunt or not even close friends of the family. We wouldn't even go to their funerals. Only if it was, like, family. Yeah. It had to be really close. Um, The only thing I really remember, if there was a semblance of faith being placed in our house, my my mom and my dad had a friend. She was a Jehovah Witness. And I remember her always leaving watchtowers on. Yeah. like a coffee table, yeah, and stuff yeah. Like that. sneaking and that in before they leave. Yeah, so I would yeah. maybe there was like somewhere that I could draw on something because I was a child. Yeah, I would do that, and but that was pretty much the, okay. the basis of it. Um, I grew up in Westminster, Maryland. Um, our child, my childhood was uh, to me, it seemed very normal. Yeah, and even as an adult right now at forty-seven years old, I still think it was normal. But there was definitely a lot of things that were abnormal that I was a child. I didn't know they were abnormal. Family was, you know, mom and dad went to work every day. And, you know, me and my sisters, we went to school. And I was just that kid that wanted to. I was definitely really, really shy when I was young. And kind of, I'm not going to say I was a nerd or anything. I I would say I was a little punk, you know, like (laughs) timid of everything. Not fast forward, but the way my life turned out, I did not see that coming yeah. under any yep. circumstances. Because a lot of things that I've done in my past, my parents didn't raise me to do a lot of the things that yep. I did. But they did a great job of raising us with the uh, capacity that they had. Yep. You know, and we had like you know we had a nice house, and then we lost it, and that's when I started noticing like. There was problems in our family, but my parents didn't allow us to hear what was really going on. You know, they kept everything behind closed doors. And uh, I didn't know, like, that my, my my mom and my dad were having marital issues. You couldn't even see it. Maybe if I was older, I could probably could have seen it. Sure. But I didn't realize, like, I, I thought everything was normal. Like, my dad wasn't a very emotional guy. I thought that was normal. I thought that... My mom just going to work and working her hands to the bones was normal mm-hmm. because that's what everybody around us did, and, you know, it was the norm. Yeah. But come to find out years later, a lot of things weren't normal at all. But um, I loved my childhood. I have to say it, I, I loved it because I always worked in the garage. My dad was a mechanic, and I always worked in the garage with him. But I realized now... When I grow in my faith, I start realizing that God was doing some things when I was really, really young, but I didn't even, I used to always build like speaker boxes for my cousins. They were older and I would put it, they would put it in their car. And I think back when, that was in the 80s. Yeah. In the early 90s. I don't even know how I knew how to build anything <laughs> because there was no YouTube. There yeah. was, you yeah. know, and I would just see one and be like, oh, I could make that. Yeah. And I would build it. But nevertheless, my childhood was great. I played sports, football, basketball. I really had aspirations to be a professional dirt bike racer when I was oh, interesting. Because I love motorcycles. I love working on cars and so on and so forth. So that was one of the things. Like, my dad would not buy you a basketball. Or he would not buy you anything that had to do with the sport that you were playing. <laughs> <laughs> like... If you need cleats for football, yeah. tell your mom. Yeah. She'll buy them. And 
But if I need a motorcycle helmet to ride my dirt bike, yeah, or I need a new pipe for my dirt bike or something like, oh yeah, we'll go get that Saturday. It was just weird. He, anything that had to do with a motor, he was into it. Yeah. But if it didn't have anything to do with that, it was like whatever. Yeah. But like again, he wasn't a very emotional guy, and now I realize why I'm the way I am at times. And yeah. I always said, like, at a, once I got to a certain point in my life to where I knew, like, things weren't really right between my mom and dad, I always said I didn't want to be like them, and I'm more like them than I yeah. realized. Yeah. But, um, you know, I went, to, you know, went through school basically following my sister through school. We are like two peas in a pod. We were always together. We are a year apart. And... We were in middle school, and before you know it, I don't know how it came about, we would always sneak downstairs. My dad always had beer down there and so on and so Because I come from an alcoholic family, yep. except for my mother. My mother was like the mother Mary of us. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. just didn't really do too much. Smoke a whole lot of cigarettes and drink coffee, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my dad, my uncles, all of them drank, and... I would always, like, they would leave a beer can sitting somewhere or a drink. I would always slide past real quick when they weren't looking and hurry up and drink it. Wow. You know, at eight or nine, you don't see that type of stuff. By the time I'm 13 years old, it's all bad. Yeah. Like, I'm doing way too much for my age because I'm following behind all the older kids. Yep. And I, I think it was one of my neighbors, me and him, he always had me smoking weed. You know, all this fueled into my teenage years. And once I became, you know, 15 years old, my mother and my father had separated. And me and my mother lived in a little, I guess you would say, a low-income area of Westminster. Yeah. And um, I ran to the streets because it was very attractive to me. And I ain't had nothing else to do. Yeah. Probably mid-15, going into 16 years old, I have a serious uncontrollable heroin addiction. Wow. As a 15 or 16-year-old. I was on my verge of being 16. My mother still, she works so much just to support me and to keep a roof over our head that she can't even see it because she leaves before I get up. I already quit school. The day I turned um, 16 was my last day of school. Wow. I aspired to be a drug dealer. I did all right at it, but I used a whole lot more than I probably sold. But, um... That was the life. That was the, like the culture where we lived was this is what we do. And all of us, that's what we did. And um, from 16, I, I never tried to stop getting high or drinking. I never tried to stop under any circumstances till I turned 18 and I'm locked up for um, some petty theft stuff with me and like one of my homeboys or something. Of course, I did some juvenile time too for stealing dirt bikes. Sure, I was, I was okay. A dirt yeah. bike king. Yeah, but uh, which, which, just so people know too, like culturally, in Baltimore and like the suburbs of Baltimore, the dirt bike culture is a culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people who are listening who aren't totally in the know of like what the city life is like, that that is part of the city life. It's part yes. of the drug running life. It's part of all that. And like, there's a lot of controversy around it, and Baltimore's, yeah. you know, trying to crack down on it, but these cultures are connected, mm-hmm. you know? And so you're in it, like you're in it, in it. Yes. By the time I'm 17, I'm in it to win it. Yeah. Like this is, 
at this point, I'm literally realizing that this is what my life consists of. Then again, I get locked up. And I only do like a small little bit of time. But I was already prepared for it from being locked up as a juvenile. Yeah. So I'm locked up in the little Carroll County Detention Center. I just remember that, like that little 45 days of where I was actually not in fear when I even the first time I went in there because I knew I was going to see a whole lot of the guys from my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So all that was gravy. Before I leave, my mindset on jail had totally changed. Like, it's not that hard. Again, I go in at 18, I come out at 18. And it just went, like, downhill. Before I know it, I got a charge, so I get caught selling drugs, of course. I think at that time I was probably... 19, and I got 15 years, also spent it for six years. And only thing I could remember was a, my mother saying, oh, my God, that's my baby. Because yeah. the only thing she heard was the 15 years. Yeah. She didn't hear about the suspended sentence. Yeah. That only had to do six. So lo and behold, I'm on my way to uh, Hagerstown. I get there. I'm listening to what all the older guys are saying. Oh, you're not going to do any time on six years. You'll probably be home in about three years. So... Four and some change, four years and some change later, because I can't act. I couldn't even act right there. Yeah, but I did get my GED there. Okay, but I mean, one of the things you said though is like you went the first time and you're like, "This isn't that hard. No. It's not that different." Well, it was a big change from the county detention center. Sure. Okay. To yeah, yeah. Yeah. Full blown. That prison. makes sense. That yeah, makes it was sense. definitely a big change. But still, I adapted really. Yeah, fast. you could live there. Yeah. The sad part is, I engrossed myself in the prison life so fast. Yeah that I came home with that same mentality. I got locked up, it was uh, 1996. By the time I come home, it's 2000. I'm basically a little kid that grew up in prison. Yep. My whole mentality is prison uh, focused, even in the street. I think I stayed home for 11 months. Wow. Which is actually the longest time I've ever stayed home. And I had to go back to do the remainder of the sentence because I violated my parole. Okay, yep. So now I'm on this 10 year sentence and I have a son at the time. Soon as he was born, pretty much, I'm going to prison. Gosh, yeah. So that's what he knows of me now, still to the day. Yeah. A few years in, I'm like, you know what? I think I could get out of prison early if I do some law work. So I end up writing this huge post-conviction. I get myself back into court. No lawyer. And the judge is like, did you do all this? I'm like, yeah, it was pretty easy. I just went to the law library. Pretty easy. So on and so forth. So he ended up extending me a lot of grace and mercy. I had already had like five years in. He was like, go back to the detention center, do 18 months there, do the drug program, and yeah. go home. Yeah. I get into jail. Mind you, I've been in this jail so many times, I can manipulate their uh, protocol. Yeah. So instead of signing up for the drug program, I signed up for work release. And they gave it to me. I never did the drug program. <laughs> and I'm out, yeah. you know, out working. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I got my first job, though. Like, first real job while I was on work release. And I didn't realize I knew a little bit about construction. Yeah. Like, these are like gifts I didn't even know I had. Yeah. I get released, and I have a great job making a ton of money. I was 20 couple years old. Of course, again, I'm heroin addicted already. Yeah. Again, yeah. Which, which I, I, I don't want people to, to misunderstand. Like, you go to jail and you're there for a long time. Yeah. You don't go to to drug school essentially, which is like, which is rehabilitation. Yeah. 
But what a lot of people think is that, oh, you were in jail for five years, therefore, when you get out, you're sober. Yeah, and it's like, one, let's not pretend that in jail those things aren't accessible, especially if you've been there long enough. And and Rob, who shared his story a few weeks before this, talked about, like, once once you're in, you're in, and once, you know, you know, you know, and there's a lot of, like, you know, jails are doing their best and all, you know, to stop that from coming in. But at the same time, no work has been done for you to actually enter into what you would call recovery. It's just time, you know? So when you come back out while you are more clean than you would have been, it's not like you come out going, Oh, I've done all this work. Therefore, this is the path I'm on. You, it's really easy for anybody who spends a period of time in jail, specifically for drug convictions to get out and just go, Okay, and just shift right back into that life. Yes. And so, when you got out of jail, were you clean? Had you been clean for a while, or were you, you no. using in jail? Definitely okay. using in jail. I okay. was now. I mean, I might have had a couple weeks here, a couple weeks sure. there, something like that. I don't know, but no, never long term yeah. sobriety. And even if I did, it was because I was just waiting for the next one to, you know, show up. Because it was out of your control. Yeah. 2000. By the time I get home from that, it was 2005. I don't realize it, but I know now that I'm all, I'm actually institutionalized already. Yep. Again, I was trying to have this work this job, and it, it just didn't work out for me because my goal was maybe flirt with the streets a little bit, but I kind of wanted to. I liked it the point that I got a paycheck every week. Yeah. But I couldn't sustain a paycheck every week with a heroin addiction, so of course I went back to the streets. Of course, my family tried to help me out a whole lot sure. along the way. They came up with every intervention they possibly could, which, of course, I'm a great manipulator, so I made it work for me. Before At their interventions, what they would end up doing by the time it was over with was giving me money. <laughs> like apologizing yes. to you. Like, so sorry for doing And, you yeah. know, I'm yeah. off to the races again. Yeah. But um, nevertheless... I'm home for seven months. Oh, just, I'm gonna back up my, me and my cell buddy were having a conversation one day. And I said, man, I'm so sick of being locked up here, which I was referring to the state system. I was like, if I ever were to, cause I used to hear all these stories about the feds were like the best place to do your job. <laughs> so I was like, if I ever break the law again, it's going, I'm going to the feds. You're on feds. Yeah, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to the moon with it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I held on to that. Which was weird. Yeah. Like I remember saying that, and I held on to it. So long. Long story short, I quit my job, and my buddy that got me the job, he called me, and I was on my way up 95, headed towards Baltimore City to go cop, and he was like, "Man, turn, turn around, and come back." He was like, "Because you know you're going back to prison," and this is the guy that's known me since the first time I've ever been in jail. Yeah. And I was like. I'll be all right. In that process, I'd, I'd done some things. Like I said, I wanted to break federal law, and I found yeah. a way to break federal law. And I ended up in June of 2006, I got indicted by the um, federal government for a bank robbery. And once they got me, it was over. Things changed a lot when I got there because it started off, I went to a nice little medium security institution it was great. I had a great gym that I could go work out in and play sports. And my mindset, I didn't realize then, but my mindset was like crazy. I ended up getting becoming a very violent person. 
again, my parents didn't raise me to be this way, but I think I adapted to the uh, the culture inside yeah. of institutions. And um, again, I was in a medium security institution in Pennsylvania. I ended up in a maximum security institution in California to finish out the remainder of my sentence. Oh, I got 10 years with the feds for bank robbery. Wow. And I did the remainder out there. Again, they just let me go. I mean, I only had to do 120 months and I did eight, I mean, I did nine years and some change on that. I thrived in there. Like, what I mean, I thrived. I like made it my, like goal was to be something there. And come to find out being something there puts a bullseye on you. Yeah. And I couldn't wait to get the bullseye on me because I knew once I had it, I could act any way I possibly could. But one incident made me change a little bit. Someone got hurt really bad. And I was thinking to myself, man, I might get more time. And I really wanted to go home. Yeah. But I didn't. I had been removed from society for so long because one, this institution had is a penitentiary, so you can only see the sky. You can't see out nothing. I didn't like understand what was happening to me, but I thought I could get more time. And did I really care? No, because I had no contact with the outside world. Yeah. So I had no phone, I had no visits. I couldn't even get, to, I couldn't even go to commissary for uh, five years. Wow. As weird as it is, they put you in a harder environment mm -hmm. and you did better. Exceedingly better. In, in, the, in that term, right? Like not in like the, like now you're like, yes. oh my gosh. But like in that space, it was like, this should have been harder for you. And you somehow flipped it and. I excelled, but I had done so much wrong there that literally when they would lock the door at night, that was my reprieve. I remember I would like pray at night. I didn't even really know who, I knew I was praying to God. Yeah. I always knew there was a God, yeah. right? But I, would, I was only praying to save my life. Yep. Whatever I did today, don't allow them to kill me tomorrow. Wow. Lo and behold, he got me released. <laughs> and I get, I do all of my time and I come home. And they throw me into a um, halfway house in uh, East Baltimore. So mind you, I've been gone for nine years. I think it was nine years and four months to the day that I got out. Wow. And, you know, of course, they're pouring all the gifts out to me. They're pouring all this money out to me. And I already have the notion of what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be breaking the law. You have a plan. Yeah. And I'm not even released fully yet. But I have a plan on what I'm going to do. I want to be, I don't, I don't want to sell cocaine anymore. I want to be the biggest heroin at, um, dealer they have. Of course, I have a heroin addiction in this facility, but I went to trade school while I was there with an addiction, which was crazy. But it took me so long to even like, get myself to the, get to the point where I could get to trade school because they give you a pass, like go out and find you a job yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And my first job was at DHL. That didn't work out too good for me because they wanted me to pay them to be in the halfway house and work. Then somebody told me, you can go to school and you don't have to pay nothing. Sign me up. Oh, smart. <laughs> so I went to trade school for a motorcycle mechanic. Went to North American Trade School, it was great. I excelled there, but I was having issues with like understanding my place in society. Mm -hmm. My only way to handle 
or resolve conflict wasn't a conversation. It was with violence. Yeah. So it was, I was having like this vicious power struggle going on with myself. And of course, I'm getting high again. Not saying anything bad about the way they ran the halfway house, but I found a way to circumvent all yeah. of that. Yeah. And um, I left there with a heroin addiction, of course. Come right home. And of course, the wheels just dropped out of it like in no time. I think I stayed home maybe four months, maybe. Violated my um, supervised release, and they sent me back. Well, they sent me to my first rehab first. Okay. Right, so I go to uh, Shoemaker. 30 days there. Before I left out the parking lot of Shoemaker, I was already high. Probably two months later, I'm on a run because, of course, I violated because I can't give them a clean yarn, and I'm not mm-hmm. even trying. Again, I go into the court because they locked me up, of course, and I just tell the judge, like, look, just give me the rest of my time. I only owe you seven months, I think. Well, now I only know you seven. I owe you six because I did that 30 days in that rehab. Yeah, that counts. Yeah, I need that. And they sent me back. So I go to New Jersey this time at a medium security institution. Great little jail for me. I'm moving around, and they release me. I've done all my time. I'm done with the feds. I thought I didn't have anything to worry about. I got released. I got my family's ready to come pick me up. I have a warrant for my arrest. Carroll County. I owe Carroll County five more years. Holy cow. Because I got out. I only did five on the 10. Well, five yeah. and some change. So they wanted like four years and something. So, of course, they got me. They transported me home. They put me on home detention. A GPS monitor the next day. I'm sitting in my sister's kitchen, looking around like, all right, I'm home. I called my sister at work, and I was like, can you come home and make me lunch? And she was like, what? She was like, go out in the kitchen and make something to eat. And I'm like, oh, okay, I made a joke of it. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm tripping, hang up. And I realized then that I'd been sitting on my, my sister's couch for hours, waiting for someone to call child. Oh my gosh, Levine. I, of course, I made it into a joke and go out in the kitchen. I make a sandwich or whatever, eat it. I cut the box off as soon as I was finished eating the um, sandwich, put it on my sister's uh, dishwasher, and I left. Because the only thing that's on my mind now is I need to go back to prison. Because that's what you know. Because this is way too hard. Yeah. Just sitting in there, like sitting in my sister's house was like killing me. Yeah. I eventually get locked up again. It took a little while for them to get me out there, though they're a little slower. And uh, <laughs> you also know more things. Yeah. So. <laughs> and um, I get locked up with the state. I'm trying all this stuff to get out because now I've been there for a couple months. I don't want to be there. So I'm like, my cell buddy tells me, he's like, man, you can go to rehab. And he's like, you only have to go for six months. Get a hold of my lawyer. He signs me up. Before I know it, I'm in Mountain Man. I'm in a program called New Horizons for guys coming home from incarceration. And I'm thriving. But I'm faking the whole thing because I got some things I need to do from before. A tragic accident. My little cousin dies in a tragic accident. And that was like one of the turning points of my life because I really thought like who would, who's going to pick me up from here when I get released? Because he was always that guy that picked me up. Wow. So I was like, well, let me try this. So I started really kind of kind of leaning in a little, 
But I was still on the fence, like 50-50, I might, you know, do what I can do when I get out there. I get home, and I don't know what happened. Once they released me, I remember leaving the courthouse, and the judge actually, for the first time ever, praised me for the good job that I did while I was in rehab. And I was wow. like, wow, ain't that something? Mm -hmm. The judge believes in me. But I remember, I'm one of them guys, when I say something, it's going to happen. And I told the judge, the judge asked me what I was going to do or something of that nature. And all I remember saying, because I was, at the time, I still didn't talk very much. I just remember telling him, I was like, look, man, I can't really tell you what I'm going to do, but I'll show you. But I knew I didn't want to go back to prison. Yeah. I knew 100% I didn't want to go back to prison. And I did like the, the 90 and 90 wasn't even a thing for me. I probably did like 200 and some meetings in 90 days. Wow. I was going to meetings all over Westminster. I was having a great time. I still wasn't 100% sure yet, though, because I still had some of my past was still attached to me. Some of the guys that were, like, really close to me were still attached to me. And they actually helped me out a whole lot, too, because they basically told me, like, look, man, you're not doing what you used to do. Like, get away from us. Yeah, yep. Which I still respect them a lot to the day. Of course, they have never been around my family, but <laughs> I love them, that, yeah. you know, from a, at a distance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I started listening. I remember hearing guys' stories that would come to the rehab, and I was like, man, they're just like me. I could do that. Before you know it, I'm in, you know, I, I remember getting to my six-month mark. I remember getting to my year mark, and somewhere in between all of that, me going to these meetings, going to work every day, and just trying to be a productive citizen, I met Carlia. You know, she's like the addictions counselor. I'm like, whoa, we're not going to, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. going to. Yeah. But I don't know. I just, I didn't see it coming. It wasn't one of those things like I pursued her or she even pursued me. It was one of those things that was obviously ordained. It just yeah. happened. And once we crossed paths, it just went to you know, us making a, a life for ourselves. And things moved fast. Like, again, like she said, we were see each other on the weekend. And before you know it, she tells me she wants to open up a recovery foundation. And I'm like, okay, cool. I mean, you're a year plus yeah. sober. So she goes, I want to start a recovery program. And you're like, I think recovery programs are great. Or you're like, oh, crap. No, I was literally like, I was in it. I actually embraced sobriety at that point. Yeah. And I was like, cool. But a recovery house? I'm like, uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, if that's what you choose to do, that's cool. Yeah. And I literally thought it was one of, because I've been around so many people that just talk. Yeah. They're, they can talk you into anything. And I really thought she just said it just to say it. And before you know it, you know, some time goes by, because this wasn't something that she said today and it happened next month. It took time well over a year. But by then we were married. We actually were living in our own house at the time, and um, it just started happening. One of those, it's not, I don't know if people call it the burning bush thing, and mm -hmm. all, but one day she tells me something. If she, I don't even know if she saw my face or not, but she said something, and I was like, how did you know that? Wow. Because I'm a guy that I don't tell a lot of my story. I don't tell a lot of anything for that matter. But she said something to me, and I was like, oh. Because there was something that I was doing every day. 
that only me and God knew I was doing. Mm. And because I was a guy that would pray, but I would hide and pray. And that literally every morning I would get in my truck, I would light a cigarette, and I would pray. And she told me one day, you should not smoke while you're praying. But when she said it, I literally knew 100% that there was no possible way that she knew I smoked and prayed. Yeah. Because I never told her. Yeah. So I remember saying, okay. I, I stopped doing that. that day. <laughs> because that was like the proof in the pudding to me. And there's a lot of things like over over time I've grown, but I literally was like, she didn't know that. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, God spoke through her to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I really got to thinking like, he literally just spoke to me. I was like, oh. And still, she goes to church every Sunday. Yeah. I don't go. I got to watch the Ravens game. Yep. <laughs> and, and I don't want to get caught up in the church yeah. culture yep. because it's not my thing. Yeah. Literally, I'm in fear of going into a church because of my past. Because yeah. there's been so many things I've done like wrong yeah. that there's no way possible God is going to like see me through of everything that I've possibly done. It's no way possible. She asked me to go, and I was like, eh. I remember one day I was like, okay, I'll go. And when we leave, I'm like, I don't like him. <laughs> I'm, I'm a very good judge of character. And the first day, and she's talking about the same church hurt incident, I didn't like that guy from the first time I met him. But my wife wanted to go to church, and I was trying to be a good husband and truth be told probably up until just last night my my husband duties have been really really flawed through this process of to today sure I was just going because my wife asked me to go was I taking any of it in pieces yeah and I didn't like the um the feeling I got when I went into the church it just I just got this feeling I was like oh it just like gave me the creeps Long story short, I started actually understanding a little bit. And I'm not, of course, I didn't like the guy, but he, he actually taught me a lot. Yeah. I started leaning into God a little bit more to where it took me the, I was the slowest process of a guy believing in Jesus. I believed in God, but I didn't yeah. really believe in Jesus. Wow. I really didn't know the, because I've had other teachings. Sure. And, my life and I started understanding like he he actually got me to the point where I understood still Jesus God and I was like oh okay nevertheless I started seeing things change in my life I knew that I didn't do it I knew that she didn't do it I knew nobody had the ability to get me to be where I am but God it's only there's no other there's no other way to explain it because yeah. of my past and like it just doesn't add up yeah well and for you 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 mentioned like getting married and trying to figure out what does marriage look like and you you haven't had experience with any of those things no. you know and you know age is is irrelevant 
but experience is a lot. And like you step into a relationship with this person who's in recovery as well. And you're like, I don't know what it's like to have a healthy relationship. I don't know what it's like to be in recovery or be in recovery with somebody. I don't know what it was a good husband look like. You also jumped in as Carly mentioned and to being a dad, essentially like, there you go. Like you got kids to care for. And, and when all this happens, like you'd spent significantly more time in jail than out. And by the time you guys get married, that was the longest stretch you'd done outside of jail since you were a teenager, right? And like, it makes sense that you guys would go into this going, we don't, what is, what is up? What is down? What is right? What is wrong? And like so much of it is you trying to figure it out on your own. And as you're doing the good things, you're seeing the good things. And I think that's part of the reason why you're so confident. Like it has to be God. Cause it's not like you can look to somebody else and go, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to follow them because there wasn't a them, right? You, you guys were kind of solo, like it's hard to explain, but like it wasn't like you had family, they loved you guys and they cared for you. But when you guys got married, it was literally starting at zero and a lot of things in your life, which is pretty incredible. But I think that's part of the reason why you're like, you had to be God because where else were you going to grow and heal and get healthy and have a healthy relationship and, and also deal with all of the stuff you guys brought into that marriage because it wasn't it wasn't clean <laughs> like it wasn't no. you know there's a lot of growth and a lot of healing and a lot of winning and victory and triumph but also years and years and years worth of stuff that are still there yeah one thing I knew that I did not want to be a husband like my dad was to my mother yeah so there was a lot of things I knew I would never venture off into I would never venture off into infidelity or anything like that because that's what my dad did to my mother. And I seen the hurt in her. So I knew I didn't want to do that to her, but I did it in so many other different ways that I was pretty much just there. Go to work, come home, sit on the couch, silent. I didn't know how to like have like we could have a really meaningful conversation on the phone. Okay. In yeah. person, not happening for me. Because I didn't realize that I have so many like underlying trust issues over the years that it's really, really hard to trust people. So to like explain, it took me for like years to tell her and her mother one day, I remember I just like broke out like out of nowhere. I just told them like a little bit about my past. I remember I was, I was just like, I couldn't even believe I did it. Wow. I was prepared for marriage. I wasn't prepared for what marriage had to offer me. Or no, what I had to offer marriage, which was nothing. Because I've never been married. I've never been in a real relationship. And she has and she knows. And of course, you know, women are a little bit more mature than men. Sure. A whole lot more, but... She And I'm just trying to, like, I thought just being a provider was enough. Like, being nice to the kids and cooking dinner and, you know, I'm just mow the grass and fix whatever needs to be fixed in the house and that's that. And it's, it's funny, you guys were talking about, like, being a strong black woman and they'll make it. I'm a victim of that because I'm, I th- always thought that. I've seen my sisters do it. I've seen my mother do it. I've seen her do it. So I just thought it was second nature for a black woman to work a little bit harder mm-hmm. to get to where we are going. Yeah. Not 
me leading her there, but her leading me there. Yeah. Like I weighed a whole lot more on her than I actually should have in the beginning of our marriage. But um, you live and you learn. And we've grown from it, but I do know that we've had a ton of ups and downs. And I wouldn't trade any of them in for anything because I see where we're at now and I definitely know where we're going. Yeah. And like I wasn't in the community. She is. And once we got the recovery house off the ground and we got deeper in the community, I was like, oh, man, it, it feels really good to where it got to the point to where I could go back to the rehab and share. Yep. And I go every month faithfully. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like my thing. I can't wait to go every month. I can't yeah. wait. Second Saturday of every month, I'm there. Whatever's happening, I'm not doing it. I'm going there. Yeah. Like, her and her mother showed me, like, what giving back actually is. Because I used to watch them go and do things, and I still would not go. I'd be sitting in the house watching <laughs> football. Yeah. They would come back sweaty. Yeah. I would probably help them unload the cars or yeah. you know but I used to be like man they're different when they come back yeah. so before you know it I started you know going with them and it felt good and I was like man and I actually had some things to offer I used to I never thought I had anything to yeah. offer and I believe I do well and that, and that is one of the things like jail culture you kind of get to that place where you don't have anything to offer mm-hmm. right and if you do have things to offer it's the downfall of other people Right, that's what you're, you're offering something that they want, but it's it's not good for them, not healthy for them, or yes. anything like that. You and Rob both have shared stories within a few months of each other where more of your life was in jail than out of jail, and there's this recollection where you get out and you you don't know it until you know it, but you've been trained and you know your brain essentially been wired to exist inside of this institution. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to then break out of that outside of it because what you don't want in a marriage is a wife telling you it's time to eat, it's time to take a shower, it's time to go to bed, right? And Carly doesn't want that. You know, she had kids. Like, she doesn't need that. <laughs> but the thing is, but you, that's what you've received for most of your life. And that's what's kept you, kept you safe. Because if you step outside of those boundaries, there's danger. And the collision that you guys experienced was a lot of the institutionalization that that jail does to you where it's stand up sit down stand up sit down and Carly it had been really easy for you as a strong woman to go I come on come on this train and I'll tell you when to do those things (laughs) but you guys have done such a good job of one calling out your past and what you've been through and two saying we're not going to function in that way anymore and culture life all the things you have been through you guys could have kind of fallen into these like patterns that I think you guys could have existed in. But instead you guys decided, even though your marriage was better than a lot of the other things you faced, hey, it's not exactly where it should be. Cause there's that unrest in you and we're like, oh, we want better. And you know, what's admirable about that is that it would have been very easy cause it was safe and good, right? And it's comfortable and you know, like with each other, like there's an understanding and a shared experience and sh- these things that you're doing together but even in the good, you guys have said, hey, like this still isn't everything it could be. And no, like no one went ahead of you guys and said, let me show you. But a lot of it is you guys figuring out on your own and then handing it to other people. Uh, Levine, I still remember when we were renovating the kids' space 
uh, you and I were together and I was showing you around the building and there's some dude like digging in the, the dumpster out back. <laughs> and I was like, they can't do that. And you open the door and the guy's like, you're that guy. Like, and all of a sudden, you know, you share this story with somebody who like didn't talk much, who didn't share much. And here's this dude who you could tell is hard up and he's going through some, some things. And now you are somebody he's looking at going, oh, there's something else. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no way when you're sitting in California, you ever think, you know, at some point I'm going to share my story and I'm going to be somebody that people can look at. Not perfect, mm-hmm. but somebody that can say, oh, there's something more out there. Um, which is kind of crazy. So let me ask you the church question because, um, you know, you mentioned going to church, you're not liking the guy, which makes sense because <laughs> being the life that you would experience, like you had to kind of keep your head on a swivel and um, be cautious around people. Carly, the same is true for you. Um, you guys, you know, Carly, you shared in episode one that you end up here because of Rob. Um, Rob has kind of a similar story, not the exact same, but life experience, Levine, like you guys match up in a lot of ways. You guys end up meeting in recovery. Um, you come here for his baptism, um, but you came back and based on your experience, well, I guess Levine, based on your experience, not growing up in church or having church experience, you know, going once is good. So it'd been, so you could have gone and celebrated your friend and been really proud of him. And it doesn't change any of those things. Carlia and, and Levine, both based on what you experienced at your previous church, so you come here for a friend. Why did you come back? Because just so people understand the timeline, by the time you guys end up at Collective, you've only been out of jail for, what, a few years? Yeah. Right? And that's meaning in your adulthood, yeah. a few years. It's weird to show up in church when you've been through that before because you look around you go, what if they find out? What if they know? Will they think differently of me? Yes, you guys are in kind of a public-facing role at this point, so people know some of your stories. I didn't know crap about crap, so <laughs> I just like met you guys as people here. Um, but specifically for you, Levine, like, because Carly said once you guys came, you, you never left. And that's true. Um, even through like other really hard things, you guys figure out how to be here. But for you personally, what was what was that? All right, so I'll keep it. Oh, 100% honest. I'm one of those guys where I walked in here and I basically, I people watched. Yeah. And I watched you the most. And it was funny, I knew you were the, well, of course, I knew you were a pastor because you were standing up there. But I literally wouldn't, I wouldn't say anything to you, but I would watch you. Mm-hmm. And I watched you interact with people. And, well, one thing, another thing was I really liked the fact that I could come dress any way I wanted. Yeah. Yep. Right? That was because I was literally <laughs> so tired of, like, dressing up every Sunday. And yeah, it's cool to dress up for church. Am I going to do it every Sunday? No. Sometimes I just want to put on some sweatpants and have, like, a lazy day. Yep. And that was very inviting to me. The church not being so big, especially at the time, it's a lot bigger now. But it's, just, it's growing like crazy. It's growing like crazy. <laughs> but um, it was very like comfortable, and it was like I remember pulling up in the parking lot, and we were getting out of the car. And I'm like, "Yo, they got on rap music." <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "All right, like this is like cool." And then by now I'm to the point to where 
I know what I want to hear when I come to church. And literally what I want to hear when I come to church is I want to hear the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to hear a bunch of opinion. Mm-hmm. I want to hear the word. You were giving us the word. Mm-hmm. And I remember us driving home before we even hit 15, we were like, man, he preaches the word. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, he's got a good vibe. I was like, but I got to talk to him first. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while because I'm not, and you even said it already a couple times, like, I'm not really a people person. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa. Well, and I'm not either. So well, not, we were not. Yeah. So I was like, well, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, there's no way we were going to, like, magnetically yeah, I connect. I just keep walking out the door and, like, it'll work out perfect. Like, this is, I'll holler at Raw real quick and we'll keep it pushing. And um, I just remember us, we kept talking about it. Like, it kept, like, it's one of those God moments. It kept popping up. Collective literally kept popping up in our conversation. Like, and I remember saying, like, I'm going back Sunday. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, we're probably a month in. And I'm like, yeah, man, that's our church. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not leaving there. I like, I like it. I was like, I still got to meet the pastor and talk to him a little (laughs) bit. Because, again, I I have vicious trust issues when it comes to pastors at this point. Like, somebody started telling me they're a pastor, I'm like, you're really not my guy, man. And it's because I'm equating another pastor to every pastor. And now I can find, I can see the good opposing always looking at for the bad. And, um, again, I, like, I wouldn't trade this church in for, and I've been to a couple other churches other than that, and I find something wrong with all of them. <laughs> and... I do. I'll come home and I'll be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like collective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I even, it's funny because I find myself doing things I don't normally do. Like I literally comment on the collective page mm-hmm. when people are saying, I'm just coming to Maryland and I want to yeah. find a church in Frederick. I'm like, collective is a spot. And yeah. if I see, well, yeah, I just say collective is a spot. Yeah. I don't try to get into all the other stuff. But uh, I just like it here, man. Yeah. And I feel... You don't feel overlooked here. That's how. That's the best way I can explain it. This is one of those churches where you don't feel overlooked. I don't think anyone does because it's you got a lot of people greeting everyone, not just the regulars. Yeah, and I like that. Yeah, yeah. And we one of the cool things was last December and Christmas Eve Eve we got to celebrate um, as you guys both got baptized, and that was a really big deal. You know, because I know, um, and honestly, it, I, I said it was a big deal at the time. I know now even more so it's bigger um, for the trust that you guys, you know, the, the public trust. Like, you guys trust us. You've been going for a while. But, like, to say, like, no, this is our church. We feel safe here. We feel comfortable here. Um, but, Levine, one of the things that you said was, like, there was no way this was ever going to happen in my life. And it wasn't because you were, like, anti-God, anti-church it was a big part of like, that's a vulnerable moment and that's a very exposed moment. And you spent so much of your life trying not to put yourself in vulnerable positions. And even, you know, and people will say, well, you know, when you're sharing your story, it's vulnerable and it is, but you're still in control because you're telling the story, but to be sitting in a trough, uh, in front of your church, in front of a bunch of people where we share part of the story, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a really big moment. And so for both of you guys, like, what was it that got you to a point where like, okay, like we're in that place because um, I don't think I would ever be upset with you guys if you never went fully all the way there because of what you've been through in your life and because of what you've been through in church 
um, because of all of those things. It, it makes sense. Like there's got to be a wall that you run into at some point. But now here we are, and I've known you guys for over a year, and it's like I feel like every wall that could exist, you guys are just going nope, and you're just like knocking that wall down. <laughs> and baptism was one of those walls because it because again like public facing people, um, you know, and and we didn't get into on the the podcast, but like. Uh, opinions. People have opinions and I hate them and I'm tired of them, but like that's a vulnerable place for you guys to be in considering you've experienced opinions, considering you've experienced people taking advantage of those things, considering the fact that you're standing in front of a bunch of people that you don't even know, uh, know some of them Christmas Eve, don't know a lot of them. Um, what for both you guys, like what, what helped you get to the place where you're like, I feel safe enough to do this. So I, th- I think for me, we had just come out of a very, very difficult season. Like you said, being, you know, in the public eye, people like to take shots at us and, and nobody's exempt from that. That's in the public eye. Nobody. But this was particularly painful and felt like a betrayal. And we went through so much um, because although the attack was on me and my nonprofit, my husband felt that, my parents felt it, my friends, my children, it really, it really knocked the, it really knocked the wind out of us. It was a lot. It was a lot, and um, you know, a lot of people turned, you know, and judged us, and you know, of course, the people who have always been in our corner stayed in our corner, and that was great. But I think it was the first time we got a bird's eye view of what this being in the public, you know, in the public eye thing is really about. And it's not about the attention. It's not, it's about your ability to focus on God and shut the rest of the world out. All you have to do is what you've been called to do and do it to the best of your ability. And what everybody else has to say is none of your business. And I just remember saying to him, we made it through this and we made it through this because of our collective family, because if it had not been for you all, I don't, I don't even want to know, um, where we would be and your support of us. And so, um, for me, it just felt like this is something I need to do and thank not only you all, but thank God for pulling us out of this because that storm, what most people don't realize is we are in recovery. And even though we give back so much to the recovery community, that could have easily caused one of us to go spiraling down, if not both of us. And so um, the fact that we made it out of that, it was a miracle. And so um, baptism was just a natural next step for me. So that's great (laughs) (laughs) no but for me it was i remember we actually talked about it and carly was like let's get baptized i was like hmm it was one of those things where i like started pondering it like yeah "Hmm." already i know i want more and what better way to get more Mm -hmm. get baptized then i also knew this i would pretty much have somewhat of a cleaner slate yeah and at the time, we had so much going on. It started affecting our marriage so much that I literally was to the point to where I'm like, man, who is it? Is it me? Is it her? Mm-hmm. Where do I need to change? To where I stopped looking at, is it her? Mm-hmm. And focused on myself. Yeah. And it wasn't her, <laughs> it was me. <laughs> but... um. 
I knew I needed to grow more. And I'm not taking anything from anyone that's helped me along the way because there's been so many guys that's helped me, like, get so far in my marriage and so far in my recovery, so far in my trade. and But I do know that the only way I cross paths with them is from God. Mm. And yeah. just for me to be able to get closer to God by being baptized, I look at it now, we got baptized in December. Today our marriage is way better than what it was in December. Wow, yeah. To where I didn't even know, I'm surprised that we made it from December. Yep. And we have, and it's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And you know, I was one of those guys I literally thought, when I got out of that trough, everything was gonna be great. Yeah, <laughs> I know, we tell you, we tell you it's not though. Uh, yeah. Full disclaimer, it got worse. Yeah. But look at what it did if you just trudged through the worst. Yep. And the worst that we had is nowhere near the worst that we've experienced. Absolutely. And look how great it is today. And it only can get better. And that's what I like continue to keep striving for. Like, I find myself doing things and saying things that Levine does not do or say. <laughs> like, I was telling that. I was telling the guys one time at the meeting. Like, I was that guy I couldn't say to my wife, you're beautiful. Like, I couldn't say it. It just didn't even sound right saying it in my head. Now I can, like, lay on the couch with you and be like, babe, you look really good today, or you look really nice today, or, or my wife is beautiful. Yeah. Like, I couldn't find myself saying that. December? <laughs> wow. Like, I wasn't that guy. I was like a... I wasn't a good husband, man. Like, I was bad at it, like... But I knew I was bad at it, and I did not know how to get better. But I do know this. If I continue to pray for things and, like, man, just keep walking where God is leading me, man. It just gets better and better and better. And I knew that being baptized was going to be one of those things that, you know, I knew I I wanted to be perfect when I got out of the trough. Was I going to be? No. And I knew it. You know, I'm I'm in contact with reality. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't know it was going to get as bad as it did. But when you hang on to certain things, like you can literally see it. Like there's been times I've said things to you on on the way out from church, and I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. Did I try it? No. But I do know like certain little things happen, like Mark and Pam, like that. Yeah. Just those little things. Yeah. Like there are things like that happen that I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to work. Yeah. And when we signed up for the collective, I was thinking to myself, is it going to work? I think that's going to work. Because I'm just watching Pam and Mark. I'm watching them. Like, I'm people. I'm a people watcher. I can't help it. Yeah. I'm like, looks like their marriage looks pretty good. They can laugh and joke with each other. We can laugh and joke with each other all the time. But it got to the point to where we were laughing and joking, and I was getting mad at the laughing and joking. Yeah. And I was getting mad at, you know, you tell me to do the dishes. Don't tell me I gotta do the dishes, because they didn't. They told me when I had to do the dishes in the joint. Yeah, you know, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know all that. So I took it like it was a form of control, and the whole thing it was she just wanted me to fall into my role, but I took it like she was trying to pull me into my role. Yeah, that's my baptism. Well, and I think it's cool because 
okay. I wish you got out of the trough and it was like perfect. Some some churches and some pastors will say that's the, the case because you are made new, mm-hmm. right? You are made new. And, and in the sight of God, you are made new. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for the life that we've lived. Yeah. And what happens with Jesus is then you have to reconcile these two things. I'm no longer my past. I'm no longer my mistakes. That's not who I am. But they've done some damage that I've got to work on. And that really is, I think, the beauty of the reason why we encourage people to take next steps and get baptized. And, and it's like, because then you start wrestling with these things in your life that Jesus really wants to get out and, and pull those things away and kind of break the way you think and the way you see things. And baptism really is a great, great start for that. The issue is immediately, and, and really what it is, is Satan will do everything he can to go, hey, good for you for making that decision. Now I'm going to make it seem like you made the biggest mistake of your yep. life. But if you lean in and trust Jesus, what it's doing is just bringing those things to the surface and working with Jesus. And through that, he's just like, all right, let's clear this stuff out. You know, And I think one of the reasons why I love baptism and Jesus and Christianity in general is because there's this promise of being made new. And, but then there's also this promise that he gives us that God can take the things that we've been through and done and turn them into something good. And you marry those two things together and you're like, I am no longer what I've been through, but oh my gosh, God can use what I've been through to help other people find healing and hope and a relationship with him. And it's this wonderful, like both and where you don't have to sit in your shame, but you also don't have to be naive and go, well, I never went through that. Therefore I'm new. You know, there is no past, and it's kind of the, the both. And you guys have, have taken both of these things, the, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, and you've taken the redemption and the reconciliation that he does with your past, and you guys have, like, married these two things together, and you're like, okay, let's go forward. And um, it's incredible. And uh, it's not easy. It's not easy when um, you allow God to work through the past, um, whether that be in your marriage or in the way you serve community, um, because you got to clear some of that stuff out that neither of you asked for. Right. You know, Carlia, you didn't cause those things. And Levine, Levine, you didn't cause those things. Carlia, other people did that. You did that. Life did that. Culture did that. But in order to have the healthiest version of your marriage, like, but we've got to fight through this together. Um, and in, in light of all the fighting that you've done in your life, like, this is the most important one. Right. Not probably not as hard as the other ones, but the consequences are mm-hmm. are bigger, which is what makes it so worth it. Um, so, so let me ask this: before we get to some advice, you know, it, through all of it, what does faith feel like today? Right? If you think about where you started and where God has been, sometimes noticeable, sometimes not noticeable. Now you look back and you go, "Okay, He was there the whole time." But how do you feel right now when it comes to your faith? So I think for me, um, we're, we're in a season, another season, um, where our faith is being tested again, you know. Um, in May, I contracted E. coli uh, from something I eat, and uh, lo and behold, it, it has affected the last three months of our lives, you know. Um, I have been in and out of the hospital um, and got another bacterial infection from being in the hospital. And it has changed, you know, Levine has slept with me for three weeks in the hospital and it has changed our outlook on a lot of things. And and I was telling him, um, one thing I realized is the importance of family. Um, I give so much of myself to everybody else. 
And um, I realized laying in that hospital bed that God was doing nothing more than showing me everything that I had been missing out on. Um, and so I literally, I told God, and, and we still have a little bit of ways to go, but I told him, you know, if you fully get me back on my feet, I promise I'll, you know, I'll get, and that's what I started doing. I just started wiping stuff off, stepping down from things, you know, yeah. and really devoting that time. And my faith, as I got very angry with God, I was like, how much more do you want us to yeah. take? And then when he showed it to me, I realized this wasn't about, you know, being punished or anything. It was about understanding the calling on my life and how I have to protect that. I can't just go out and hand it out like candy and neglect my family um, in the process. And so my faith now is through the roof. <laughs> I mean, it's almost crazy because three months ago I was very angry um, and I cried a lot in the, and I wouldn't talk to him in the hospital. I wouldn't say much because it just it just felt like too much. It's sure. like, you know, enough is enough. But my faith now is like crazy because laying in the hospital bed, I got a phone call that I got promoted to executive director and I'm in a hospital bed, you know, and then all these things just start and his business starts picking up and things just start happening. It's like, okay, this is just a timeout. He's just yeah. talking to yeah. you. It's not. So my faith and then through the collective, um, oh my goodness, what a, 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 I, I have to be honest, and we're always honest. We just say what's on our mind. I, I think everyone knows that about us. But when I sent you the email and he's like, well, try to collect I was thinking, I don't want to go to a collective. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You know, and it was the best thing we could have ever done. We literally skip to that collective on Wednesdays. Tired and all, we are so excited to be there. And... We work through it at home. We don't just use the time there. We talk about it at home. We do the activities. And our marriage is in the best spot it has ever been in. And so my faith right now is on cloud nine, and I'm going to do my best to keep it there. Good. Yeah. Well, and let me just say this to you, because you guys <laughs> joined um, the marriage pop-up. It was the first time we'd ever done it. But led by Mark and Pam, who shared their story on this podcast, to do a lot of our premarital mid-marital, post-marital counseling, whatever it may be. One of the reasons why we thought a group would be important for that is because um, not just to learn and grow, because that's a part of it, but it's also to look and sit in a room where you go, oh man, we're not the only ones struggling right now. And we're not the only ones in this church who carried things into our marriage that now we're having to work through. And we're not the only ones who have had a really bad few weeks or a few months or a few years because so much of it is isolating. You know, you, you often feel like you're the only one, yeah. you know, it's part of the reason why we did this podcast. So people listening, know I'm not the only one. I know, I know that feeling, but, but part of it for you guys is, is, you know, digging into the marriage stuff, but also looking around me going, Oh man, like we're not alone in this, right. you know? And both of you have lived lives alone mm -hmm. and you've thrived alone or at least been protected alone. Right. And um, to be able to sit in a room and go, we don't need to be alone on this one. Mm -hmm. You know, like marriage is hard. Yeah. Marriage is really, really hard. And um, for whatever reason, we think that, okay, that's a fight between me and my wife that we got to trudge through. And it's like, hold on, like we, we can get people around us to go, 
hey, we're fighting too. You know, they're not really going to help you fight that much because they got their own stuff, but they're they're doing it with you. And so I'm, I'm very thankful that that Mark and Pam do that and that you guys join that group because um, you're not alone in this. And um, and as much as you have to gain, you have you have that much to offer right. as well. Uh, Livia, what about you? What does faith feel like right now? Faith feels great. Having faith in God, it feels great. God knows me very well. Mm-hmm. He knows what he has to show me when he needs to show me. He know, And he does. And it's really one of those things where sometimes I don't know my faith is as high as it is until God actually shows me. Because I'm one of those guys where <laughs> I'll get to work. And my boss is like, Man, such and such and such and such, this ain't happening. I'm like, man, watch watch what he do, man. Because all we got to work is Christian music on. Yeah. And, yeah, because we're both believers. But I'm like, watch what he'll do, man. I was like, man, look, we just want to do this right here and let him take care of that right there. And it's literally, like, when I mean it happens, like, God works fast in my life because he knows how I am. And when I pray for something, he knows I need to probably get moving because old Levine is going <laughs> to. He knows me, yeah. And like he, and it's so great yeah. that I can like say, "Hey, watch what he's going to do." Yeah. And like literally two days later, my boss is like, "Man, your faith has got me like on cloud nine. Yeah. And it's like, and it's. Another thing with my faith is like, um, I really want to be a good husband. Like, and I want to be a good father, and I want to be a good brother, and I want to be all these things I want to be good at. And most of them I'm kind of mid-grade with. But my faith tells me, like, I can be better. And that's like literally the only thing that gets me by. And then when I see better, I literally know that I actually didn't do it. So that's how it gets my faith, like, on so many different levels. It's like like going in and out of the hospital. I already, I can look at her laying in the bed and, like, her faith is not very high right now. But guess what? It's not a time for me to be sitting in here preaching about what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen because that's how high my faith is. It might not happen tomorrow, but we're going to get up out of here and some things are going to change. And lo and behold, like she said, she gets promoted in the hospital. Yeah. And I'm just like, if that ain't a God moment, what <laughs> is? <laughs> and, like, just through the process of, like, so many different things happen to where we literally have no control. Yeah. And what I mean, there's so many things that have happened to where we have no control. And God literally is like shows you his hand mm-hmm. to where our electric bill. Mm. We're dead in the water. <laughs> like mm-hmm. what I mean dead in the water, it's over. There's no possible way we can make this happen. Gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just remember saying to myself, we're standing in the kitchen, we're talking about like, man, what are we gonna do? Our electric bill is way outside of our financial <laughs> situation right now. And I'm like, man, we'll be all right. 
And I literally, for like a fleeting moment, I thought of things that I could possibly do or people I could possibly go to to get the money to pay this. And it was like one of those things where God was like, don't even worry about it. And I, I don't know how she took it, but I do know that we were both moving around very freely. And before you know it, she calls me and was like, it's, it's good. And I was like, amen. I just remember saying, like, amen. Yeah. Because there's nothing else to say. Yeah. It was like he showed us his hand. Yeah. Like, and to me, that's powerful. Like, that's, that's what gives me faith to say, you know what? Next year, we're going to be here. Yeah, yeah. And then the year after that, we're going to be there. And I just pray about it. Yeah. Like, I'm still one of them guys, like, I hit my knees every morning, man, and I used to not be that guy. Yeah. Like, I will pray in the closet if I had to or, or whatever the case may be. But And then still sometimes to the day, I find myself not wanting to pray in front of my wife. Sure. It's just, it just like, I don't know. And then before you know it, it's like, get on your knees. Yeah. And I'm on the side of the bed, I'm praying, and she's, like, talking. And she's like, yeah. oops. You're right. But that, like, makes me feel good. Yeah. Because not every day my faith is as high as hers or vice versa. And it takes us together because we're one now. Yeah. And that's another thing, like, God has been, like, working on me with, like, we're one. We got to be one. Yep. Not us. It's one. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And, like, that's where my faith has got me. Like, I... I know our marriage is going to be fine, regardless of the guy may be in between everything being fine. Sure. Our marriage will be fine. Yeah. Because there's no possible way that I could sit here, or I don't even think she can sit here to explain, like, how we got together. Yeah. No, it makes no sense. No. No. The fact that you guys even met each other makes no sense. The whole thing is, is this. None of this was a mistake, and it's just, that's where my faith is at, like... There's been days where I'm like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, with just like little things like bills and like God shows his hand in so many different ways. And it's just like I'm watching her elevation from afar. And it's like, look at that. Yeah. And then sometimes you just like, I just listen. Like, she gets home from work and she's telling me about, hey, this happened and that happened. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, hmm. Nice. But I'm literally thinking, like, watch him because he's working. And I can't wait. Like, I, I'm i one of them people, like, I want to see her, like, shoot to the moon because I know I'm, like, right behind her. Sure. I'm not even behind her. I'm, like, with her. But and then, but we'll come up. I'll come up. Like, it's just it, it's how it works. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, my face is high, man. It's just, it's just high. Yeah. I can't, I can't equate anything or where we're at in life, where we're at in marriage, where we're at in so many different ways that anything other than our faith. Yeah. And I think what's cool too is that one, you guys are willing to do hard work. And you do see that with faith. Like if you're willing to to do the hard work. And and the hard work isn't always like read this book. Sometimes it's right. are you willing to do the hard work to to pray. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Now it shouldn't be hard, but it, you know, right. the hard work yeah. 
But the second thing too for you guys is um, I'm really excited for people to hear these podcasts because from afar, you know, people, some people know parts of your stories, but they, I think people would look at you guys and, and think, oh man, like things are going really well. Look at them. Look, look how great their marriage is because of the way you guys interact with each other. And it's just really good for people to hear like, yeah, that took time and took work and it took prayer and it took vulnerability and it took risks and it took healing. You know, it's not just you guys showed up and it was like, things are good, mm-hmm. but it's been a, it's been a, a very long hard fought road to get to here, knowing that the things that you want on the other side of here, which will be better, but they're still a long and, and, and hard fought road down the way. Um, all right. So let me ask this. One of my favorite questions on the podcast, we always ask for people to share advice, to give wisdom, um, because you guys have been through some things in your life and you've learned some things because of that. Um, but the beauty of wisdom is then you can hand that wisdom on to someone else so that they don't go down the same path or they don't end up in the same place that you, you ended up in or so that they can jump off the train track that they're on and end up in the same place you are in now. But if you had like one uh, good piece of advice for everybody listening um, based on what you've been through in your life, what would that be? And Levine, we'll start with you on, that, on this one. Trust God. It's plain and simple. Right. It's, it's, yeah, just trust him. Good. Hell yeah. Um, I would say that God gives his toughest battles to, to the chosen. And so if you feel like you're getting beat up, there's probably a reason for that. So I would challenge people to flip their thinking yeah. instead of thinking, why me? Um, think that you're being tested for a purpose yep. bigger than yourself. Yeah, that's really good. I have nothing to say to either of those. It's great. <laughs> All right, uh, so, so last question then. Um, you know, we ask everybody the same, same ending question, which is if there was a verse or a few verses or even some people have shared, like there's a story in the Bible that they love. And that, but it's that one thing that kind of in the highs and the lows you know, there's these verses that kind of just sit and they penetrate who we are or they show up when we need them to somehow, you know, it's that, that those weird Sundays when you're having a hard Sunday and there's that verse that you love and all of a sudden you're at church and it's the verse that we're reading that, you know, there's, there's these things in our life that kind of stick with us from scripture. Um, so if you have one or you can have a few of those, what would those be? Uh, Levine, we'll start with you on this one as well. You got me on the front street now. I don't know the verse at all. I just know the gist of it. Yep. And it's, a man that doesn't get on his knees and pray, the things that will happen if you don't. Yeah. Because I have it written down at home, mm-hmm. but I know it. And it's one of those things that I have to do that. Yeah. Like there's sometimes I actually forget to pray. I forget because I'm moving around, like yeah. especially when I had to take um, Channing to school. Mm-hmm. She, I'm trying to get her ready and I'm moving around the house real fast. Yeah. and. I, f- I pull out the driveway, I'm almost to the stop sign, and I remember, I'm like, oh, Channing, hold on a minute, I got back up, I got to go in the house and pray, because I had to get on my knees, yeah. not driving my truck, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, and I'll run back in the house, maybe make it just to the living room, and hurry up, kneel, and pray real fast, and like, that's, and I've seen it working, yeah, so, yeah, that's awesome, for people who struggle with prayer, and we've had a few people on the podcast share that, like, they love prayer. Prayer can be tough because life is busy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to encourage everybody to to hear what you're saying, Levine, because prayer is action. And we often think of just prayer as words, but it's like 
sure. Like it is, it is our words, it's our heart. God already knows it, but it's the, it's the discipline and the habit of communicating with God. It's a discipline and habit in going before him and saying, God, like I'm struggling or God, we need to see this or God, I am seeing this and I'm thankful for this, you know? And, you know, when you think about uh, the verse you referenced and how it's like, what's the consequence of not doing that? And it's like, well, the consequence is not an active relationship with God. It's not an active faith. It's thinking that we're capable enough to do things on our own. It's not seeing the good things enough to praise God in them. It's not understanding, Carly, like you said, like you're going through a hard thing, but he's with you. And the consequence of not taking the time to pray is is big because it eliminates all those important things from your life. And, um, you know, we've encouraged people in the past on this podcast, but in, I'll encourage them again, like take the time. Mm-hmm. One minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten seconds. Just take the time to communicate with God because you build that habit every day in your prayer life and you'll see it impact your marriage and you'll see it impact Mm -hmm. your work days and you'll see it impact your children and your faith Mm -hmm. in those hard seasons because of that. You know, people think it's just like throwing words out there and it's like, man, there's so much more to prayer than just like, I'm going to say a few words to God. It's it's the action, it's the time, it's the commitment, all of it. Um, All right, Carly, what about you? Um, so my favorite scripture is Isaiah forty thirty one. I live by it. It always pops up right when I need to see it. I absolutely love it. And um, it just reminds me to be patient. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And so all these life storms, that scripture is just what grounds me. It's just hold on. Yeah. Just hold on. Yeah. Man, I am, we've been waiting a long time to record this podcast. You know, we talked about in the fall and um, when we started to plan out this series, um, having no idea everything you guys were going through um, or would go through, but I'm thankful that in us planning out this podcast and planning out this time, um, we've been able to sit down and share kind of through some of the rough stuff. Um, Because I think if we recorded this in the beginning, I don't know if you guys would have had such a clear mind and a clear heart and a clear direction that God's put you on. And so I hate that you guys have gone through a lot in the last six months, um, but I'm thankful that that's part of what you guys shared. Um, Because even though you guys have been through so much, so much before you even met each other, it's, it's just good a good reminder to understand that, hey, when you're doing the right things and you're doing what God asks you to do, like it's still hard. And there's still a lot of things you got to work through. And people always ask me, like after the podcast is over, like will you record new episodes? Uh, and we've wrestled with that. But one of the things I know we will do is we'll do check-ins six months and a year from now because um, what I think everybody needs to hear is like this is part of it. Mm-hmm. And not the end. We're not closing a book. You know, there's no bow on this. This is just a part of this incredible story of what God's brought the two of you through to together, to healing, and then also impacting and um, and really making Frederick a better place. And so um, I'm thankful for you guys. Um, I'm thankful for our friendship. Uh, I shared this at the beginning of, of Carlia's episode, but there's been a few Sundays when you guys have come up to me, and it's very clearly Holy Spirit-driven, um, cause I'm in my head and I don't show it all the time. Uh, but you guys have given me encouragement and words that have really shaped how I approach what we do here. Um, and specifically like how confident and I feel in preaching God's word. And, um, Levine, you told me once 
it'll sit with me forever. I, I preached a really tough sermon, and you're like, we choose to come here. You know, you didn't come into my house and tell me these things. And you're like, these aren't even your things. These are God's things. And it's like just a reminder of, you know, if we keep doing what God asked us to do in this church, in this community, in our marriages, it's not always easy, but man, is it good. Yeah. And um, you guys are a living testament of that, and you've brought that into my life as well. And so uh, I'm so thankful for you guys. Um, I hate everything you've gone through. <laughs> but I'm thankful that you are willing to take that and turn it into something good. So thank you guys. Thank Thank you. you.